really couldn't have a better song leading into uh, this next installment in our series, For Me to Live as Christ. Uh, we're focused on the book of Philippians. We did take a, uh, a quick detour last week as Sean Wooten was with us, and what a great sermon last week. Uh, if you haven't heard it, uh, you know, Sean has this unique way of being able to illustrate biblical truths in such a powerful and compelling way in his own life and uh, his own heart that he's exhibited in the last, you know, 30 years or so. He's been a disciple and serving over in, uh, in Eastern Europe. It's, it's inspiring. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go to the website, check it out. It's got some uh, riveting kind of illustrations that will be able to stick with you. But really, it is all about Jesus. We're back to Philippians. Uh, today, we're talking about Philippians chapter 2 in our continuing series, For Me to Live as Christ. Um, you know, when I... Uh, was here at the very beginning of the service. Um, we were in that first song. I talked to one of our brothers who's been like one of our founding members for a good period of time. And uh, we, we were standing there and he said, wow, uh, the 11 o'clock service must really be full because there are not many of us here, you know, this morning. Of course, in town on the third uh, Sunday of every month, they have a service downtown and they reach out to their friends. Also on a rainy weekend, sometimes this is how it is. Campus students are on the retreat. People are, you know, helping uh, take care of the children's ministry. And sometimes on these uh, rainy weekends, uh, families just decide to come a little bit in that uh, second service. And so at any given Sunday, we'll have 11, 1,200 people that are here on this campus worshiping and teaching and, and serving each other. But the thing about Jesus Christ is it really doesn't matter if you're in an auditorium that's completely full and jammed and with enthusiasm and, you know, just uh, hardly a place to, to sit. Uh, or if you're in a small group, a family group in, in your home, if Jesus is at the center, something really happens. This is all about Jesus, and whatever group we're in, whatever uh, our roommate situation is, or our marriage is like, our, our relationships are like, with a square focus on Jesus, everything, you know, changes. And so the Bible just continually tries to get us to focus on Jesus. Last week, Sean spoke about Hebrews chapter 10. It's one of those amazing, great chapters in, uh, in the New Testament, and in fact, in the entire Bible. People do lists. You know, they have lists of greatest hits and, you know, what's the most significant events or people. Um, if you're a sports fan, you hear it all the time. Top five players in NBA history. Who are they? And they'll debate it back and forth. Are the top Super Bowls of all time? You know, what were they? Are best songs of the 80s? I mean, it just goes on and on and on in this kind of way. For me, personally, the, uh, the second chapter of Philippians may just be the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. I mean, certainly, I mean, uh, it's inspired people to live for Christ, to follow Christ, to exalt Christ. Uh, I'll just read one quote to you of, uh, of many quotes like this. As people have spent time in this tremendous chapter as it focuses on Jesus, here's a quote. Now, we come to what I think is one of the most breathtaking passages in Scripture. This passage on the glorification of the Lord Jesus is the Mount Everest of the mountain peaks of Revelation concerning the person of Christ. The amazing story of how the eternal Son of God stepped out of eternity and into time and became a man as God uh, intended man to be. It's, uh, 
It's a powerful, powerful chapter, and done correctly and studied correctly, it just fixes our eyes on Jesus. It helps us see who he is, and it makes us better people. And so this morning, for just these few minutes before communion, I really want to invite you to be in your Bible. It may be a Bible app. It may be a paper Bible. I've got some slides. It, it, it organizes the sermon, but to spend time yourself with an open Bible and considering these profound verses as first of all it explains who Jesus is and then it explains what our natural response just has to be when our eyes are really focused on Jesus. Um, as I mentioned before, we're entitling this Philippians chapter 2, The Secret of Humility. Now, uh, the book of Philippians, written to uh, uh, a pretty neat church. As you read through it, you know, it's just one of, one of Christian's favorite books. It's so, so full of joy and purpose and a focus on Jesus. It helps us with our attitudes, how to think, to know we can do all things through Christ, to whatever is pure and beautiful and noble, to focus on these things. The antidote to worry as we, as we pray about everything and get the peace of Christ. Uh, so many tremendous, tremendous things that we learn from, the, uh, from the, this little church in Philippi. The church is going pretty good. It, uh, it didn't have all the issues of Corinth because there were some churches, just like there are today, that are doing pretty well but have issues, and there are others that seem to be mired in problems and disunity and needing a lot of work to be able to work through those things. They have some issues. If you, if you go on in Philippians chapter 3, you're going to see there's an issue with false teachers. There are some external influences and teaching that is capturing some of the Philippians' heads and hearts. And it's just like that in any time, in any religious period. You have the, 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 the truth of, of the gospel and the pattern of, uh, you know, of, of the church and Jesus Christ, the doctrines of the Bible. And then you have other teachers that are doing various things with Scripture. Paul will say distort them or use them for dishonest you know, gain in that kind of way. So there are issues that need to be addressed. And all of these issues are basically solved by focusing, riveting your heart and your attention on Jesus but then there's also a little issue of some disunity in the church. There are a couple of, of strong Christian sisters, Euodia and Syntyche, you read about them in, in chapter 4, that are just, you know, they're bumping heads. They're not united. And I mean, it's, uh, it's true. Even very strong, mature Christians who have... Have, have studied strong opinions, can kind of get sideways, you know, with each other. And Paul even mentions them publicly in the letter and encourages somebody called the yoke fellow, help these sisters really, you know, you know work it out. And uh, you're going to be able to see this theme coming through in Philippians chapter, through, uh, chapter 2 as it addresses any issues that we've got, particularly any potential conflicts that we may have with other people, you know, in, uh, in our life. So whether it's external you know, challenges or internal conflicts, the, uh, the book of Philippians can really address this. And the primary, uh, primary thing, I think that uh, the Bible and Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us is the antidote for all of these things 
is to first fix our eyes on Jesus, but particularly to be able to notice the humility of Christ. Humility is always the answer to the problems that we run in, whether it's in a marriage or in a roommate situation or in a church, any of those things. And Philippians 2 will answer, like many of the questions sometimes you and I have, how do I stop this kind of rising up or quelling in my heart of, of pride or defensiveness that sometimes happens? You know, it could be in a church service. It could be in an interaction, in fellowship. It could be in any kind of setting. And, and you just feel things rising up in you that you're feeling defensive, prideful. You're just bothered by certain things. You're irritated. You're, uh, you're wondering, uh, you know, uh, don't I have the right to do this? What right? You know, you're focused on our rights and what I should be able to have and what other people may be doing to me. And it, it's going to answer all of that for us and help us to have a proper perspective to really be like Jesus in, uh, in everything that's uh, kind of outlined in this amazing chapter. Humility, well, I mean, there's so many passages on it, but uh, this is one that really got my attention about seven years into my Christian life. And um, I actually was doing this study on conversion and how important it is to be born again of the water and the spirit. And in John 3, 5, it says, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so you realize, wow, of all the scriptures in the Bible, you got to be clear on that one. What it means to be born again of the water and the spirit, to be born again, to have a new life. And then there's, that's why I studied out the other times where this happened. Uh, this phrase was in the Bible with the Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, You'll never be able to enter the kingdom of God. So that's another passage where I realize I need to understand what that means and do everything I can to be on the right side of that. And then there's this passage where there's an argument about who's going to be the greatest. And again, it's this wrong-spirited focus on self and where I stand and are people acknowledging me and respecting me and valuing me. And okay, he talks about the greatest of the kingdom and he has a little child, like one of our FLC little children, maybe one of our two-year-olds back here. And he, said, he stands, uh, puts him in the group and he says, truly, I want to tell you something. Unless you repent, it's the word metanoia, to change or repent, change directions. Unless you guys change and become like little children, do you notice the phrase? You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles himself like this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We don't need this passage to understand how important humility is in the life of a follower of Jesus. But this just illustrates it, and you'll be able to see it in a, in a strong, powerful way in Philippians 2. Okay, your Bible uh, hopefully is open now. You'll be able to look in Philippians chapter 2. You, you, know, you know what we try to emphasize on these Sunday mornings. We have, uh, uh, we have a brief sermon or lesson or message. It's about 25, maybe sometimes it'll drift up into 30 minutes long. And we introduce some things for the rest of us to dig in and to study. To study them out, to spend time in the Bible, to open up commentaries, to be able to even check out some original languages, to be able, most of all, to humbly bow down before God in a yielded way and say, God, help me to not only understand this, but to really appreciate it and to put it into practice. And boy, if there's ever 
ever a few verses that you and I should focus on and spend some attention on and, and make sure it's just a part of the fabric of our, of our life and the way we approach life on a daily, hourly basis, this has got to be it. Let's look in our Bible and read. And I've just interjected some, some Greek words that are very interesting. If you, uh, for those of you that study this kind of thing, you can go back and see some of these compound words and how they emphasize what we're talking about here this morning. If you have any encouragement in Christ, that's got to be a rhetorical question, right? Anybody have any encouragement from Christ? Okay, yeah, even at 9 a.m. in the morning, we can get some oomph on that question. It's just that easy, okay? And he's going to ask some more rhetorical, I just call them rhetorical questions. It's almost like you're saying, Paul, are you, are you kidding? I mean, obviously the answer is yes, but this is how he chooses to start out. If you have any encouragement in Christ, do you have any comfort from God's love? I mean, we're going to have communion in just a few moments, and you're going to have the bread, you're going to have the wine, and you're going to reflect, do I, do I take any encouragement from the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and, and I get to go to heaven? I mean, wow, of course, yes. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit or common sharing of the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, anybody got any compassion and gentleness and tenderness out here? The answer is yes, we do. Of course we do. And then he says, well, then make my joy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 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 let me catch up with you. Okay, uh, then make my joy complete. And here, it's a very interesting thing. He gives us four if statements and then four action items. If you have any encouragement, if you've got any comfort, if you have any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if you have, you know, uh, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by, and he tells us four things to be able to do, and they seem very, very similar, don't they? But it shows in our response to Christ and as a part of a body of Christ, a church of Christ, how, where we should focus. And he says, if, if this is true, make my joy complete. And I don't know how you react to that, you know, because when I look at that, I go, make your joy complete. Aren't we supposed to make God's joy complete? Make God happy? That is our ultimate goal. But um, there is a sense, any group of people who choose to live like that will really make their church leaders, family leaders, whatever family group leaders, really happy. If people choose to have this perspective, and this kind of heart. So don't be offended when Paul says, hey, I'd like you to really make me happy. Okay? Ultimately, obvious, it's making God happy. But wow, when we make God happy in this way, we're going to make a lot of people around us happy. And to feel really great because of everything we're going to see in these verses. And so he says, if you have this kind of encouragement, be, uh, be like-minded. And he says, have the same love. And be one in the spirit. And he says, be of one mind. Do you see how closely those things are all together? That if we really are encouraged by the, the love of God and the, the cross of Christ, you know, here's how we respond to really be together and like-minded and of one heart and one mind and one soul. It's, you know, he's already talked about this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, you know, and, uh, you know, and following. And he talks in our relationship, this is how we, uh, you know, we need to, to respond. I... Uh, 
occasionally. I mean, we all deal with what motivates us and what doesn't, you know, in our faith. And uh, we, we all, I mean, particularly if you've been a disciple for a while, and if I ask the question, how many people have been a disciple over 10 years? A lot of hands would go up in here, or 20, or 30. You've heard a lot of sermons by now, right? How many midweeks have you been to? You know, how many times have you even read this passage? You know, you know a, a few times. And there are certain things, how many songs have you heard in worship? There are certain things that move us, right? And there are certain things that don't. And sometimes they maybe even have an opposite effect. I was, I've talked with a couple of people over the last, you know, couple of years here in North River. I wouldn't say it's a large number, but it's a handful. And, um, and, and they responded, you know, I just really would prefer, like when we have sermons or we have messages, if we just kind of put out there, just talk about God and God's grace and, and Jesus and who he is and not tell us now we got to go do something. I get that, don't you? I mean, generally, I don't like to be told what to do anytime. I mean, that's my DNA. But really, you have to think about that. Is that what the Bible does? When we're writing letters to Christians like you and I, Philippians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Romans, you know, is that what the Bible does? I'd like to submit to you, no, that's not what the Bible does. First of all, it lifts up the grace of God, the love of God, and then he lets us know in response to this, this is how we should live. And so, uh, you know, we, we want to be careful we don't overdo it. You don't want to have, you know, two minutes on, hey, God loves us now. Here's what you need to do. Okay, that'll wear you out, you know, over time. But to try to have the proper balanced approach on this, because clearly in this letter, and I think in all the letters of Scripture that are written to disciples, we first of all see the basis for our faith, and, and we're focused on Jesus and God's love and his grace and the Holy Spirit in each one of us. And then it lets us go, okay, so here's if, 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 then let's be of one mind, one love, like-minded, and wow, here we then come to what I referred to a few Wednesday nights ago as the hardest scripture in the Bible. That's my opinion. You pick your hardest one. The main thing is when you find the hardest one for you, don't ignore it. And spend some time and ask God to help you process it. Look at this, look at this, uh, look at this incredible statement you know here and then we're going to go back to the motivation although we've already lifted up Christ in the first chapter for me to live is Christ he says therefore do nothing out of selfish ambition erethia and, and that's a, that's a word of like uh of, of, of sort of competitiveness or wanting your own way looking at you know what you want you're kind of constantly thinking about about that and then he says don't do anything out of selfish ambition but or vain conceit keno without doxa glory or keno empty empty glory things that don't really last i went to a funeral funeral yesterday what lasts What's the real value? Your car? How much your house is worth? Your bank accounts? Your, your, your facial structure? How much hair you still have left? What really is the value? 
He said, don't do anything out of vain conceit or empty value. You know, but rather he says, rather in humility, humility, value others above yourselves, or your translation may say, consider others more important than yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And in your relationships with each other, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And now we're going to lift up this amazing, what appears to be an early Christian hymn that's right at the center of theologians called the Christology, you know, the, the, the study, you know, of Christ here. And it's all in, in trying to help us deal with this default human condition that you and I have. We don't even have to work on looking at things from our own point of view. It's like so natural. You can feel it when you come into the parking lot, when you sit down here, when you hear the first song. I mean, and every other place in, in our week, we have a basic bent to think about ourselves and value ourselves and our time and our money and our resources, you know, above those of others. Now, of course, some people are gifted to, to, to be on the other side of that more than the rest of us. And as we grow in Christ and the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus, we're able to grow and to change that. But I see my default DNA in there. It's just the natural, you know, flow of things in the way that, that, that life is. And so, I mean, the thought of doing nothing out of, oh, my goodness. You know, and then he, he's going he's gonna to go, go on and he says, uh, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of, uh, of others. I, uh, he is interesting to me. I uh, had a conversation even just coming in uh, this morning. And uh, a brother came up and said, Tom, can I talk to you? And uh, I fellowshiped with him a lot. And he usually gives me a nice smile. And a little bit of encouragement. But I could tell he had a different expression on his face. And something was really hurting him or bothering him. I, I, he asked me to come over. I didn't know, is this an ill relative or is a, a problem going on? Or, you know, and he, uh, he, 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 he pointed me down the aisle and he said, Tom, could you look, do you see a stain there on the carpet? He went right down this aisle. I say, who's it next to? Dexter, is that you? I hope that wasn't, you know, you, know, you earlier today. And uh, he, he said, you know, um, this is, uh, I, I view this as, I helped give contributions to help buy this carpet. I know many other people did. I feel like it's, it's our, our house together. And if people come in and, and have coffee and they spill it and we got, you know, uh, these stains all over the rug, that just, that hurts me. And um, now, now I think that that brother and whoever's responsible for that stain need to consider this verse and to think about how we consider other people's needs more important than our own. I mean, it's as simple as when you come into the parking lot where you choose to park, how you sit, how we fellowship, how we reach out to other people, if we even notice what's going on in the newsletter, if we're aware of people, you know, you know around us. And, uh, you know, on one respect, 
that's not a big deal. You know, forgetting coming in here, bring a coffee and it spills, you know, on the rug. But maybe we just didn't stop and think about the needs of other people instead of our own. Here's the thing. When we don't think about the needs of other people and we don't value them above our own, it ends up causing friction in our marriages, our families, and in the body of Christ. And thank, praise God for the overwhelming, uh, you know, command and character quality of Christ of forgiving everything, you know, of bearing with one another, which is so important, and forgiving one another as Christ, you know, forgave us. But there's just so many areas like this, these um, big things or little things, and I want to tell you this this morning, this is my reality. If you try to live like this on your own strength and power without the power of the Holy Spirit and spending time in the Scripture, you will be a hot mess. I mean, it's just, you just no way that is even possible. You got to make sure, first of all, I'm a true Christian. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. Okay, and I'm really making that attempt to follow Christ. And then I've got to have these one another relationships to encourage me. But most of all, I got to have the Holy Spirit of Jesus transforming me into the, into, well, into the next verses. Let's look at it. Okay, let's look into the next verses. We all, this, this companion verse, deny ourselves and follow Jesus. That's that part of, of valuing others, you know, above, uh, above ourselves. Um, Let's, uh, let's look back in Philippians chapter 2. Wow. This is where, this is the place to spend time. This is the place to focus, you know, in, uh, you know, this week. In your relationships with one another, have the same, you know, uh, mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not ex- consider equality with God, Something to be held on to or used to his own advantage. You're going to notice in your Bibles this is written in sort of a stanza form because most commentators feel like this was an early, one of the earliest Christian songs or hymns that they sang. And it, had, it was full of the power of, the, of Christology and the theology of Christ. He says, rather, he made himself nothing. Your, your translation may say he emptied himself. And to empty something, it's first got to have something in it. It's got to be full. Jesus was full of everything, particularly his rights as the son of God. And he emptied himself when he came to earth. And he took the nature of a servant. And this is crazy if you study this out. It's not even the normal term for a servant that's applied to in many people. You know, Timothy, Paul himself, other leaders in the church in, uh, you know, in Philippi, uh, Phoebe, you know, uh, in, in Romans chapter 16, this word diakonia, which is translated servant, you know, this is the word doulos, which is a common slave with absolutely no rights. That's what Jesus emptied himself as being the son of God, came down here and didn't just put on the flesh or even die on the cross. If he'd done that, there was still something that we all needed. We needed an example. And he poured out his rights, which is what we hold on to so much and causes arguments and causes friction and causes stress in families and even in our own mental health. And he says, he just poured, poured that out and he decided... I'm here among you as one who will serve. 
And he, he called on all his followers to have that same thing. That's remarkable, isn't it? He poured out all his rights, and he took the form of a servant, washed people's feet, met their needs, and he became a human. And being found in appearance as a man, he did what? He humbled himself. Humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what communion's going to be about in just a moment. Therefore, God has exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Can we say that this morning? Jesus is Lord. That is the primary theology, that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is our Father. God has exalted him. He became obedient even unto death. He humbled himself, poured himself out, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That, this great, amazing passage that we want to think about, pray about, reflect on, ask God to fill us up with understanding. This is in the category of Ephesians chapter 3, 14. I kneel before the Father, and I ask through his power within each of us, he can help you to understand how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ. And to understand that, be filled with all the fullness of God. This is, this is what this is, you know, right here. And it speaks to the lordship of Christ, but it also speaks to our future. I went to a funeral yesterday. I think I mentioned that. What would a funeral be like without Jesus Christ? Seriously. What would your funeral, your wife's funeral, heaven forbid, your, your son or daughter's funeral, a good friend's funeral, what would it, what would it be like without this? It'd be wishful thinking. I was only 12 years old when my grandmother died. I don't know how a 12-year-old gets cynical so early in life, but everybody was talking about in the little meal after the funeral, oh, she's in a better place. Nana's in a better place. So she's with God right now. And it just hit me as a 12-year-old, how do people know that? Are, are, are Are we just encouraging each other to make ourselves feel better? How do you know that? I was 12 years old, went to church maybe once or twice a year. Now, praise God, I found out when I was in college what that meant, that Jesus is Lord. He was resurrected, and yes, it's true. We get to follow him not only in this life, we get to follow him, you know, in the life, you know, you know to come. As we, uh, as we get ready to take communion, I just want to ask you, to not stop here in Philippians, but read on in chapter 2 and read about Timothy, who Paul says, I have no one else like him. Everybody else thinks about their own interest instead of those of Christ. Apparently, it's not that easy to live like this, even as a Christian leader. And look at Epaphroditus that, Jesus called, that, that Paul says, he's my fellow soldier, and he's my brother, and he's your servant, and he almost died for the sake of Christ, and he said, honor men like this and then he goes on in Philippians chapter 317 and says follow my example and and others who have this pattern of life what pattern is it it's following Jesus in this way and so as we continue as a as a church in our small groups 
in our families, in our, you know, in our apartments. You know, let's, let, let's put a real focus on letting the Holy Spirit of God in us help us, you know, truly because of the fellowship that we have with the Spirit, the encouragement we get with Christ, the comfort from his love, that we truly can be like-minded, have the same love, be of one mind, do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit, but consider others of more value than ourselves, and don't look to our own interest but those to the interest of others, all inspired by the example of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we just are in way over our heads when we think about uh, Jesus and just your love for us and what it really means to have your Holy Spirit transforming us more in the image of Christ. Uh, Father, thank you that even though we have a long way to go to grow in these areas, that we are here this morning forgiven in Christ. Your Holy Spirit is inside of us. You love us. You're helping us get to heaven, and you're helping us become more like Jesus, you know, uh, hopefully, Lord, every, uh, uh, every step along the way. As we take communion, Father, we do this just uh, with the greatest humility and greatest gratitude for Jesus in his name we pray, amen.